Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. G'day everybody, welcome to another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Timken. I'm Aaron Noonan, Will Dale is alongside, well, you're not alongside me, you are at least, at least one and a half metres, metres away. Go away, correct. Good to have you here, my friend. Uh, this is a Q&A episode of the podcast. We've had some good chats in the last, what, couple of weeks. We've had Wayne Gardner, Alan Gow this year. Uh, Dave Reynolds, Larry Perkins, Ryan Story. You can't accuse us of not having big names. We have had some good names in the series so far. Uh, Noonan and Dale are the latest names in the podcast today. Published authors. That's right. Well, we are published authors. Uh, Co-authors, more you than me, hence why your name is first on the new (laughs) Dick Johnson Racing 40 Years of Cars book. Well done on all of your efforts and everybody involved, our team here at V8 Sleuth and Authentic Collectibles who've put together the book. It is the book. It is 400 pages of every car over the last 40 years from DJR and, of course, uh, DJR Team Penske. It's out this week. All the pre-order copies have been dispatched to our pre-order customers and now it's available on general sale through our online bookshop. If you head to the V8 Sleuth website, click on Bookshop and uh, get in there and order yourself one. There's only 3,000 copies, Will, and they're all signed by Dick Johnson who is on holidays now from signing because... 3,000 signatures in one hit's a big number. Resting the old wrist. Just a little. Just a little. Uh, Have you recovered from writing this epic book? No. I think I ever will. (laughs) But if you've got to go, that's not a bad way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was a lot of fun doing it. Like, as as anyone who who has received their copy will see, I've I've had a bit of a long-term thing for Dick Johnson Racing. So um, it was a lot of fun to go back and trawl through the history and go find. And I I learned a lot of things through it through the process of researching for the book. So that that was a real highlight and seeing a lot of cool photos and talking to a lot of cool people. I think the photo of the book is very early in the book, and we'll get onto our Q and A very shortly. We've got a bunch of great questions from the last few weeks from our V Eight Sleuth followers. But it's the photo that I convinced you to put with your introduction that is you in a, a Shell Junior race suit, age what, five I'm not or in six? the suit. I'm not in the suit in that. Oh, you're not in the suit. There, there is there is another photo of you in the race suit, but you somehow sneaked out of that. So My eyes were never open in any of those photos. I figured it was the right thing to do to actually be looking at the camera. <laughs> no, nah, great job. Um, we've had some great feedback already from customers who've received their book, fans of the team and of Dick and Scotty McLaughlin and John Bow and the Sierras and the Mustangs and the Falcons. There's so many things that people have contacted us about so thank you everyone for the kind words and for supporting the projects that uh, we put together with our partners and the guys at Authentic Collectibles, Will Hall and Tristan Groves, the whole team there who worked with us on that book. It's been a massive, massive mission. It's taken us what, 15, 16 months to bring this to fruition. So I know it's been a long wait and uh, sometimes these pre-order items do slip on beyond the uh, date of release, but um, I think everyone who gets a copy will agree it's a bit of an epic and it's been worth the wait. So let's rip into the questions, Will. Uh, this is our Q&A podcast episode. We haven't done one of these together in a little while. Yeah. Feels a bit strange, Back actually. It. Yeah. Uh, question one. Matt Botterill asks, Will... Alan Moffat's Coca-Cola Mustang. I've read that it had 101 wins from 151 starts, 
but Moffat is only credited with 32 Australian Touring Car Championship race wins. What were the other categories that he raced and won in it? So touring car racing back in the day wasn't like it is now where pretty much every time one of those cars goes out on the track, it's for a championship race. There were a whole heap of other different categories and different or different events and preliminary races and non-championship events. So Moffat's car raced in a lot more, a lot of those wins came in a lot of other events outside of touring car championship rounds. And that was the majority of races. I mean, in 19... So that car raced in, what, 69 to 72 in Touring Car Championship. There would be never more than seven or eight races no. in each. Well, you think 69 when the car turned up, that was the first time the Touring Car Championship was held over more than one race. And was five. Yeah. Now we have, you know, maybe 13, 14 rounds with anywhere from 28 to 34 or however many individual races. So, And don't forget that car raced after it was ineligible for the Touring Car Championship in 73 as a sports sedan uh, and, and did a little bit more winning there uh, in addition to its Touring Car wins. So, and finished its racing life over in New Zealand with a trio of races, I think. Yeah, and, and there's some a bit of chat around that there's a book being written mm. specifically on the history of this car and its full racing life, and I'd be very interested if that book can um, – add the history or add the underlying statistical data. I mean, we could go and do it, but we just haven't had time or the need to, um, to see this 101 wins from 151 starts. It's become sort of the the stat for that car, but is it 100% correct or are there some variations? Are the numbers even better than maybe those numbers? You'd want to hope might so. suggest, or they might be worse. Who knows? Nevertheless, even if they're a little bit worse, they are still- Still pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, question from Jared Laws. Besides the cars that are currently racing in the main game, which chassis is the least amount of main game supercar starts? He And Jared assumes it'd be something built around 2012 before the change to car of the future. Mm, not quite. Uh, we've delved through the database on this one and we've, ta- we've sort of had to take a couple of um, lines of inquiry. We're not counting cars that raced uh, in the early 2000s that were Konica Series cars that did Bathurst or Adelaide, as they were allowed to do in those days. Um, we obviously haven't picked current cars that were either brand new late last year or early this year. So here's a couple that I'll throw up there that will make people go, ah, oh, yes. Uh, there's no specific one answer here because there's too many caveats to it all, but David Thexton's BA Falcon, I know there's a lot of sleuth followers who are Thexton motor racing <laughs> fans. Uh, that did not start. Huh. It didn't get to the race. It did, well, he didn't get to race because he didn't qualify for two rounds in 04 before that team um, shut down. Uh, Derek Van Zell, who built, remember, Thomas Mazira's Densitron car, he built his own car for the 2000 season that ran uh, Queensland Raceway and Sandown late that year, the 500 at Queensland, uh, and then ended up in the DVS later on. So we'd only did two main game rounds. So we're talking, what, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that John Bell left Dick Johnson Racing to go to Cat Racing? Ah, uh, yes. There was an EL Falcon that the team had put together in Perth. He used it for one championship round, the oh no, a couple of rounds. I think it was the early 99 part of the season before they had an AU ready. So Eastern Creek, I remember it at Adelaide and Adelaide as well, 500, yeah. And I think they had an AU for the next round, if memory serves correct. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, high-profile car, Craig Lowndes' 1999 rollover Calder car. <laughs> High profile vertically. Yeah, it was high, low, high, low, low, high, all of that. Uh, three rounds was all it did. Debuted at Sandown, 
then Queensland Raceway's inaugural sprint round in 99 and Calder. It's roughly $100,000 a meeting based yeah. on build cost, yeah, I think. It's not a very good ratio. <laughs> no. <is it? laughs> That's very, very bad on a starts to uh, dollars ratio. Um, Jez Hawkins, this is a good one. I don't mind this question, Will. How many unrestored Bathurst-winning V8 supercars are there as they finish the race? The only one I can think of is the GRM VT. It's as close as you'll get. So did that car actually race on after? No. Ah, Never okay. raced again. Wow. November 2000, Bathurst 20 years ago, Tanner and Barguana. Uh, it did see some track action, but not racing. Uh, Nathan Pretty tested it Yep. Um, in the years afterwards at Winton. It ran at the, I think from memory it was 2003, there was a 25th anniversary of Commodore celebration at Bathurst on race morning oh, and yes. it went for a little trundle around there at low speed. And, of course, it was part of Gary Rogers' 70th birthday celebrations up at oh, Queensland Raceway are, yes. a couple of years ago. But uh, that's as close as you can probably get of all of the cars. You think about the ones that are undergoing restoration, raced on and were sold to other people. Mm. Um, well, you think, as you just said, that race was in November 2000, back when Bathurst was the final round of mm. the season, and that was the last time that was the case. So in most instances after that, the car that won Bathurst was racing two or three weeks later. And we're not in a position like perhaps in America with IndyCar and NASCAR where, you know, it is the deal, isn't it, that if your car wins those races, particularly Daytona, yeah, it, it goes Daytona to the museum USA. for 12 months. Like, it's not a case of, oh, will we decide? No, 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 you got to. Yeah. That's the deal. Um, that won't fly in Australia given the market size that we've got. So, yeah, I think the 2000 GRM car is as close as you'll fine to as it ran on the day and i'd have to go and ask the boys if it's got the same engine in it that it had when it finished bathurst and and those type of elements but as far as i know i don't think they've touched up the bodywork or the stickers or the paint which job is or, all, or patina like it's always nice yeah and i think that's that's as close as you'll find to a an as it won bathurst winner from the v8 supercar era that's for sure a car that's kind of close although it will need a bit of work <laughs> either current the rate, current reigning Bathurst 1000 champion, DJR TP06. Needs a bit of work? Okay, so the chassis needs a bit of work. Needs a fair bit of work, and it will never race again. No. So they did take all the panels off it after it won Bathurst. True, true. So uh, so it needs a bit of reassembly. Yeah, it does. And I'm sure they'd have all the correct numbered components to put it back together and, as it was. And, of course, supercars is such a category now that everything's so interchangeable. So it's not a case of... Back in the old days, build a car, that's the engine for it, away you go, you might change the engine once a year or whatever. Now they're in and out of these things in a rotation. It's like an AFL game, you know, the the rotation's through the bench. It's the same sort of thing, lifing of parts, X amount of kilometres on all the bits. So it's pretty hard. I don't think we'll ever see a scenario where a team wins Bathurst and a car can be basically plucked out of service and left as is slash as was just because, I mean, Previous to COVID-19, I don't think anyone was in that position. But post it, I can never see a team being in that position unless it's the absolute end of an era that year of technical regulations and there's new material coming for the the following season. Indeed. Ben Malvon, can you do a book on the Commodores like the Falcon Files? Well, we we can. (laughs) We've got a bit of info and some photos lying around. Uh, For those who don't know, The Falcon Files was a magazine we published in 2017. It was a 
Oh, 240-odd page, perfect bound, celebrating 25 years of Supercars Falcons, so 1992 to 2017. Uh, we've still got some stock of that, by the way. There's only a handful of boxes lying It's not much here. left, is it? Uh, they're on special, 15 bucks, packed with reading, perfect if you're a Ford fan doing your homework on your uh, your V8 Supercar Falcons uh, in our bookshop now, by the way. And what's, what's the address? Uh, bookshop.v8salute.com.au. Very yeah. good. Uh, we could. I, I, I've certainly got... And we've discussed this internally here at work that um, I think a V8 Sleuth Guide 2, or we might call it, you know, Commodore Chronicles or the Commodore Files or whatever you want to call it. Um, But I think what we might do rather than trying to fit them, there's just too many to fit all all the Commodores. Commodores. Well, you you go from VN because pretty much all of those bar one became a VP or a VR or whatever, Mm. uh, right through to the current generation of car of the future cars we're talking a couple of hundred we won't that'd take a 900 page book and i don't think we can <laughs> i don't think we can print one that big but what, what i postage geez yeah i know australia post will make a killing out of us posting that thing out mm. i think the the reality of what we could do though and we've discussed this internally certainly we haven't committed to it but uh, we'd like to do it one day and it might be that we divide up the commodore models by bracket and do a book or a magazine, probably a book, that features those a bit more in depth, more photography, more imagery. So uh, we've already discussed from VN to VS, it's the same floor plan. The second generation Commodore, essentially. Yeah, and a lot of those cars evolved through those models as they uh, rolled on. So I think there's about 60-odd cars that fit that bracket. So that's a, a good solid. If you did four pages a car, there's 240 pages, there's a book. So I think one day, Ben, um, it's fa- fairly safe to say we'll do something along those lines and that it would be a multi-volume um, uh, publication. But don't expect all the volumes at once. We'll have to take some time to yes. <laughs> put them all together. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Uh, Rowan Gould asks, Will, the history of Rex, that is, of course, racing entitlements contracts, do you have a list of where they started off, numbers they've used, and where they've been brought and sold over the years? Now, we have, a, we have lists of a lot of different things under the roof here at V8 Sleuth. <laughs> uh, that, un- that, at the moment, is not one of them. Not something that I've ever sat down to piece together. Uh, I've, always, I've always found them found the in, that interesting the way that those initial um, franchises have become moved worth without, more money. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> um, but just the way they've moved throughout the sport. How you think back to when Larry sold his and bought a new set and. Did yeah, that a couple he sold of times. His level ones and yeah. level twos, and there's been upgrades, and there's been court cases over Rex. There's been yes. numbers that have. That's the way to explain where numbers move along because yeah. the numbers are attached to the Rex for those who don't know. And I mean, it might be the business side of things is a bit boring to some listeners, but no, we haven't done a history of Rex. Would we ever? There might be a reason down the track to do it yeah. for a website story or something similar. No. I wouldn't hold your breath, though, Rowan, yeah. uh, just yet. But uh, you never know. You never know. Damien Lumby. Hi, V8 Sleuth. Hi, Hi. Damien. I made it to the Thunderdome once as a 13-year-old and loved every minute of it. What were the wider plans for oval racing in Australia, and is there any chance the Dome could be resurrected in the future? Isn't it strange, Will? We get this a lot. We get asked about the rebirth of the Thunderdome a lot, and having driven... Now, I've, I've driven past Calder more times in the last four or five years 
than I had in probably the previous 10 or 15 mm. because my wife is originally from Bendigo. So we have driven past ah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of times in our travels. Um, there is no chance in hell that that Thunderdome will ever be a racing venue ever again, as sad as it is to say. Um, I, no, I can't see it being resurrected. It the- would take so much money. It would take a racing scene. I feel like the the, the potential – or well, it wasn't potential. It achieved potential. Yeah. I mean, the Thunderdome racing of the 80, late 80s into the 90s, the prize money that was up for grabs, people were racing in big fields. There was – what NASCAR, Oscar, sportsmen yeah, that grew they had out of a full Oscar, tiered system, HQs, HQs, the little Aussie legends yeah. remember on the apron. Uh, they even ran trucks at the Thunderdome for a while. <laughs> for a Formula while, Formula V's too. Which, oh yeah, in the whoa, wet. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Allegedly, no. Te- allegedly, Mark Webber tested a Formula Ford around there and Melrose. Does Mark remember doing it? We never asked him. No, I didn't ask him that yeah. in the podcast. Uh, which, if you haven't listened to our back catalogue, you should, because um, we're seeing the numbers go up and up and up as people discover our podcast. So if you've never listened to us before, welcome along. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, you've got a bit of catching up to do, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, what were the wider plans for over racing? There was talk of other ovals being built in Australia. Well, to- there was the use of the half mile at Adelaide International mm-hmm. Raceway, which was very interesting given it was off camber in one of the corners, <laughs> which I don't, think, I don't think that's a common oval yeah, track. I, I think you had to use your fenders to pass anybody okay. around there. But remember in the mid-'90s, I mean, there was short track at Oran Park. Short track was used at Eastern Creek for Oscar and NASCAR racing. Yeah. There was the annual Gold Coast Indy trip with NASCAR Oscar. Yeah. So you piece all those together with a few rounds at the Thunderdome, there was a series. And you think when it started to hit its straps in the early 90s, it offered a it offered a clear alternative to touring car racing exactly. where on the high banks of the Thunderdome or wherever, you had Holdens versus Fords, you had big V8s. It was good racing. Yeah, it, it was, was good racing. racing. And there were, were stars. There were names that people knew. It wasn't mm. just a pack of nobodies wheeling around there. No. It, oh, it's one of those things we do get asked a lot here about – where did this card go or can you do some more stuff about the Thunderdome? I'd love to. I think that there's so many stories to be told there from all of the different racing over the years of, you know, what was the first NASCAR race, early 88, uh, and the last time the Thunderdome ran was, what, 99, 2000, around there. Sounds about right. Um, so there's so many stories and there's so many cool things to, to go on about there. And I think it's a part of our history that is important that we try to find a way to, to keep it and to um, – Celebrate it because I think sometimes people don't understand just what was achieved out there on the world stage. I mean, we hosted the first NASCAR race outside North America at that currently run-down, decrepit <laughs> Thunderdome as it, as it sits now. It's very sad to see the tumbleweeds and the yeah. um, the ticket box all smashed up. And, and another um, piece of NASCAR history around the world, first NASCAR level, first race for NASCAR-level cars won by a female driver in Terry Sawyer. Terry Sawyer. Now, there's a name that you don't – I mean, we're changing topics here completely, <laughs> but there's someone who achieved amazing stuff on the dome in Oscar NASCAR. Yeah. And you don't read or see anything about her. Yeah. We need to find Terry Sawyer. No, I, I reckon agree. that's a story. Remember she drove 05? Oh, her Oscar of course, for a time yeah. was, the, was 05 for the drink drive message. She ran 05 at the Dome more than Brock ever did. Yeah, well, that's true. Which Brock did one Oscar race and an NASCAR race that he never started. Yeah. Just practised. So, 
Anyway, uh, yes, but Damien, answer the question, why do plans for over-racing? I think there was chat of a oval in Queensland and there was always Yeah, I think they did the like the um, foundation work at Lakeside to do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it Darlington? Uh, oh, I don't know. There were a lot of plans at Darlington yeah, that never quite came yeah. past, but definitely was, Lakeside. It was a long time ago, but had, had Group A not evolved into V8 touring cars slash supercars, mm. We had supercars. They were on a Thunderdome. Yeah. Um, I think that was part of the, like, smoking gun that Ford and Holden held. It was at Bathurst 91 where they released mm. that joint statement with Shell and Channel 7 mm. saying, fix the rules or we're out, and that's yeah. where they were out too. Yeah. Well, I, I just well, one think of their that, avenues. Yeah, anyway. I just think that they would have used that as a good pressure device on yeah. the powers that be, but uh, nevertheless, it was, um, yeah, it's a shame, but- Damien, don't hold your breath is probably the short <laughs> short answer to the longer question. Uh, my turn? Yes. Uh, John Stryker, what was the reason behind dropping the recognition of round results after 2008? In 07 at Eastern Creek, we had Mark Scaife's round win there being celebrated as it broke Brock's record, but 18 months later, it was rendered irrelevant due to the rule change. Now, it's a good question. It's a good point too. It slightly predates my time in the championship as well, so, so for, I don't I don't actually remember why the change was well, made. Well, for two thousand and nine, every race had a podium finish, mm. had a podium presentation and a trophy. So previously to that, there would be three or two, depending on the weekend races, and the most points for the weekend won the round. They stood on the podium with the trophy. One, two, three, top three for the weekend. I think it was felt that there wasn't enough recognition for race winners, individual race winners, and that there was the odd occasion, but I think this was overblown, and I think this was a huge mistake, by the way, from the powers that be at okay. the time, that there was an understanding that there was people winning rounds without winning races. Mm. You could count on less than, well, one hand and a bit probably, the number of times that happened in a multi-race round we started doing multi-races regularly in 1992 in each round. Yep. And that ran right through to 2008 before the end of the round era. Yeah. So what's that? 16 odd years. And there were a few outliers through the 70s where they did the whole- Yeah, a- yeah but a- I'm, a- I'm talking about yeah. when it was the standard race format. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do remember- I only remember it because it popped up on TV the other day. The Barbagallo round in 2006, I think it was- Mark Scaife won races one and three. Dean Canto won the reverse grid race. Yeah, yeah. But Steve Richards won the round in the Jack Daniels Cup because he had a really bloody good round. Yeah. And he made up poles of ground in the uh, reverse grid race and he was, I think, second and third in the other two races. So it wasn't the norm. It was the exception. But they changed the rule like it was the norm. And I think, you know, my personal belief is quite often they change rules. And I say they as in... A Vesco at the time, or supercars yeah. now. The entity rather than the yeah, per- correct. particular the, person. Rather yeah. than the people, uh, whether it's the commission or the board or whoever's involved, I have a firm belief that they they change things because of feel, mm. not on data. Because if you looked at the data on that one, if that was the reason for changing it, is wrong. See, I like the change though. I like the idea that the person who I don't like what it does though to the records because it skews them all out of whack. It's always going to change though because. In the current area, have 13 to 15 rounds compared to, as we said earlier, one race per one race to win the championship or oh, it's five never rounds be to win same. the championship. It's always, it's, it's always going to change. And yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. I think it just makes more sense that the per- to if you're trying to broaden the sport, the person that gets the checkered flag is the person that gets the trophy. I agree with that completely. What, what it does do is it does skew the records of the sport 
a little bit, but as you say, it's always going to be skewed. Anything that's over 60 years as the Australian Touring Car slash Virgin Australia Supercars Championship is, is always going to have some form of it's apples and oranges, yeah. but they're all fruit, but they're not quite the same. So you look at you look at NASCAR in the US and it's the reverse where no one's ever going to win two hundred races in the top tier like Richard Petty did. Not unless they go for a long time and they're really good. Yes. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, that was the premise behind the, the change of it. For the casual fan, as you say, that's right. It does make it a little bit more obvious when you go, hang on a minute. So this guy wins, but he didn't win. Yeah. Like, that's a strange one. I understand that. But it didn't happen as many times as probably people felt it did to change the rule. And it makes all those moments of scafe breaking Brock's record at Eastern Creek I mean, we keep the round stats still, but they're not a celebrated part of the sport because it's not the marker of achievement anymore. It's yeah. individual race wins. And quite rightly, Jamie Winkup is celebrated for all of his championship race wins. But if you think Jamie Winkup's won more races than Alan Moffat or Peter Brock, you're not even close. Seriously. Won more rounds? or Races of any, no, oh, yeah. anything. No, I see what you mean. So yeah, going yeah. back to our point earlier on... Um, I still think Wing Cup is absolutely in the conversation of the GOAT, greatest of all time. But for win numbers, so you take Peter Brock's number of Australian Touring Car Championship race wins, that doesn't count all those Bathursts, no. doesn't count a pile of those Sandown Enduros and all the other Enduros he won, the South Pacific Touring Car races he won in good fields, in mm. you know all of those odds and sods Touring Car non-championship events that Moffat would have won and Brock won races in or Gagan or Jane or yeah. Beachy or whoever. Um I think you get a much better formation when you look at that on the whole. But the reality is that, yeah, that's why they changed it because there was it was felt that there was a, a leaning more to a driver who won the round without winning a race mm. and that if there was just a podium for every race. I mean, I like that in a nutshell as a podium for a race. It makes sense. It just means that the records over time are um, somewhat skewed. So podium records... Hard to compare (laughs) because there's so many chances to get a podium now. But I guess you've just got to look at the percentages of how many times could you potentially get on the podium in your era versus how many times you did. That's the real market to be able to uh, compare things. Um, Yeah. Did we answer it? Yeah, I think we did. I think we did. I think we did. David Roberts, did Channel 9 ever telecast an Australian Touring Car Championship race? By my reckoning, not a championship race. No. They've they've telecast, obviously, like the Australian Grand Prix support races over the years. Yep. The, the Brock Nissan, Classic. The Brock Classic, the Nissan 500, the first yep. touring car race at Eastern Creek. Yep. But, yeah, I, off the top of my head, I can't think no. of an instance. No. And if it was, I'm guessing it would have been – I mean, remember that we, – and we know the history of television rights in the championship. Obviously, we're in a Fox and 10 world. Prior to that, we were Channel 7. Prior to that, it was Channel 10. Prior to that, it was Channel 7. Prior to that, it was ABC. But prior to that deal being done in the early 80s, ABC did some, 7 in Sydney did some. It was like a circuit-by-circuit thing. Yeah, there was circuit-by-circuit, but different era of promoters rather than one big umbrella of a championship. So Mm. uh, there could be the potential somewhere in the 60s or 70s that there was a Channel 9 event at Calder or somewhere like that. But as as far as I'm aware, I don't don't think – so, and I would need to see some seriously good proof for me to think <laughs> otherwise, but uh, I don't think so. Uh, Liam Baker asks, what's the news you have on this gathering of all things Holden at this year's Bathurst? What cars do you think we should pro- probably see or possibly see? Well, this is the uh, Holden Bathurst revival at the Bathurst International in mid-November. That's the new Bathurst event that the Australian Racing Group's running that um, is due to see TCR 
S5000, TCM, uh, Trans Am. Uh, what else? I think there's some news coming in regards to that. Oh, obviously, the Bathurst Six Hour is now part of that event too with the yes. production cars that wasn't held uh, earlier in the year at Easter. So um, the premise of this is that it's a super sprint. Basically, it's not a race. I think there's room for 100 cars, Oof. and it's open to any logbooked Holden. That's cool. So That's such a wide, yeah, wide oh, range you of could, cars. You could have your 48215 Appendix J car, or you could have your Commodore... V8 supercar, Kumo V8 touring car, whatever you want to call it, era car. That's cool. That's a lap time difference and a half. <laughs> I think there's going to be multiple 20-minute sessions for um, car owners and competitors to to run in. So um, and We do have news on one car that might potentially be at it that we had on our site. Oh, yes. Now, this is, if you haven't read this, this is this is cool. Gary Rogers Motorsport, uh, the, the story and the uh, follow-ups on our website, if you want to jump on v8sleuth.com.au, they're building a new old Nations Cup Monaro to the same spec as uh, the yellow car and the red car that won the two 24-hour Bathurst races. And since we wrote that story, there's been a little change of plan. So originally there was a Monaro chassis that was with a GRM associate, Mario, who's a good friend of Barry and Gary's, in Perth. And they've got it across to GRM. But in the meantime, they've been offered a VZ Monaro body shell by Dean Lilly of Ravage Raceworks, who oh, okay. Dean's prepped lots of race cars over the years. He's had a good steer himself in TCM and a little bit of Kumo and all sorts of stuff and Prodi cars too. Uh, so they're going to build a VZ spec Monaro. So the only difference is that it's going to be a VZ rather than um, the model that the previous cars were. Uh, engine, getting a gearbox. Question is what colour? Yeah. They've got a red one. They've had a yellow one. Do you just go one colour? Do you go multiple colours? Do you put an actual livery on it? Because none of them raced on raced with what you would define as a livery. There were sponsors like on a base colour. Base colour with stickers. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you've got a red one and a yellow one. Uh, green one, blue one, pink one, black one, white one. Red and yellow and pink and green. Yeah, a bit of everything. Uh, but, th- yeah, that's what's happening. And uh, if you've got a Holden race car that's a lot it could be hq holden could be yeah. saloon car proddy car touring car commodore cup car commodore cup car future tourer there's oh, a few yes. of those kicking around uh vectra super tourer yeah i don't know there's too many of those kicking mm. around here one question was asked of me during the week would a formula holden be eligible if it has a log book it's got a holden engine it's not a holden and are you allowed to run open holden. wheelers with sedans that's the big question that is a very big question that might be a bridge too far, mm. but anyway, yeah. yeah. But that's what's going on. So Bathurst in November. It's not at the Supercars October race or the Supercars February. It's at uh, the November event, the Bathurst International. Hmm. Question from, and I apologise in advance if I butcher the pronunciation. Go on, of name. Jason Celeste. Where is the Channel Nine Camaro? Queensland. Yeah, it's in the Bowden's collection. Yeah. They've had it for a long time now. Did they buy that straight off KB? I was I trying to think of this think the other so. day. I think so. I remember that KB drove it at Bathurst for the last time in 82 when it did its infamous the barrel channel, roll. The Channel 6 Camaro, yes. Yeah. I didn't want to say it because no, it's been said so yeah. many times. But he did the 83 Oran Park Touring Car round in it, car 66, I think, from memory. Yep. Uh, I think he might have done an Amps Car round or something along the lines uh, around there too in that era or at Oran Park Touring Car round, uh, another yeah. touring car race. Um, rally sprint. He did the rally sprint in it without. <laughs> I think he took the flares off. It yeah, sensible. Let, let it rip. And remember too that it it was involved in the '84 Bathurst start line shunt. It was John Tesserero and Bob Tyndall's car mm. that hit the back of the Tom Walkinshaw Jag, and um, it was restored to Channel Nine 
after that. And I don't have with me exactly which year it became part of the Bowden um, car collection, but it's been a part of their collection for for quite some years, and it's clearly a really special one. Remember, they did wheel it out at the Gold Coast Legends event. Yes. Um, yeah. At the Gold Coast 600, 2009, 10, whatever that was, back in that period with uh, with KB at the helm. So good news, Jason. That car still exists, uh, lovingly looked after as part of the Bowden's amazing collection of cars. Uh, Skinny, I don't think – is that his real name? You never know. Yeah, anyway. Uh, this is good. I like this. In fact – this is our Castrol question of the week. Uh, anyone from the global motorsport world, who would be your ultimate sleuth podcast guest? That Apart from good, Will Dale, of course. Well, naturally. <laughs> that is a good question. Who, who are you thinking? Um, the first name that pops to mind, and it's a bit from left field, hmm. it's Klaus Needsbits. Oh. You think yeah, of a, I like that. You That's think of good. a guy who was a works Ford driver, raced big group C sports cars, raced Nürburgring, raced for Rudy Eggenberger mm-hmm. and Alan Moffat, mm-hmm. obviously had a pretty good synergy with both of those people, both yep. very idiosyncratic people. I think he'd have quite some stories to tell. And, and of course, he's a, um, a motoring TV presenter yeah. these days. In yeah, yeah. So it's 30 years this year since he took pole at Bathurst oh. in 1990 yeah. in the ANZ car. Now, he was on top in the shootout in 88, but that wasn't for pole. No. That was the year that it wasn't allowed to count for the grid positions and Dick Johnson kept the pole from uh, regular qualifying. That's a good one. That'd be that'd be really interesting to hear his side of that era. And don't forget, too, that we were exposed to him as a Sierra Eggenberger driver, but he mm. later drove, I think, for the Opel yeah. German um, touring car team and also spent some time in Honda Accords in super touring in the years after. And remember, it was the the annual thing of Moffat trying to get him to come and do <laughs> Bathurst in the Falcon, yeah. but he could never do it because he had commitments. But he finally did it once in 96 mm. yeah. with he and Ken Douglas in the Sonovus Banana Boat. Da-da, da-da, banana boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Falcon. Um, I'm going Dale Jr. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a really I good just, call. I love that he's totally aware of motorsport history, uh, clearly, obviously, his dad's is a big part of it, but I, lo- I really enjoy his podcast whenever I get a chance to listen to them and the, mm. the the conversations and the stories that come out of them. He's clearly got huge respect from a lot of people. I've met him before. Oh, really? When he came to Phillip Island. Oh, of course. For the yeah, yeah. Supercar around in 2007, I think yeah, it was, seven. when he was down there um, sussing things out. We did a very quick grab with him, I think, for V8 Extra at the time. So I have actually met him before. I'm sure mm. he won't remember. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he'd be mine. I reckon he'd be cool. And you That's could a good call. Probably discuss all sorts of racing with him and he'd be aware of it and, and understand um, what it's all about. <laughs> if anyone could resurrect the Thunderdome. <laughs> hey, I think he's good, but I don't think he's that good. Hey, he brought North Wilkesboro back from the dead. For iRacing. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon we could get the Thunderdome on iRacing? Theoretically, you could, but it'd have all the bumps it currently has. They it could was potentially bumpy when it up. was a thing anyway. It wasn't that bumpy to start with, but it got very yeah, bumpy very yeah, quickly. Did. Yeah, it did. What was it the ski jump they referred to I on the exit of turn, yeah. turn two, yeah. Terry yeah. Labonte yeah. said? Yeah. Do you agree that's our cash roll question of the week? I completely agree. That's our Castrol question of the week. Guinea, even if that's not his real name, uh, you are our question of the week thanks to Castrol. Because remember, Castrol is more than just oil, Will. It's liquid engineering. Castrol provides the oils, fluids, and lubricants for today and the future for every driver, every rider, and every industry. Make sure you follow Castrol on Facebook to stay across the latest in motorsport, exclusive comps, and much, much more. So good job, our Castrol question of the week. 
And the next question is about a person who's currently sponsored by Castrol in their racing team. Mm -hmm. Colin White, Daniel Ricciardo to McLaren could be a smart move. What saith the sleuth? What saith the sleuth? The sleuth saith that, yes, that could be a smart move, but the word could is massively overused in media these days. (laughs) In these uncertain times, which is another word or phrase I'm sick of hearing in the last two months, uh, anything could happen. I could win Tats Lotto tomorrow. Well, that's hope. Yeah, that'd be ace. Let's how hope good, we both win. How good would that be? We would, yeah. would start the way to buy the Thunderdome, that's for sure. Uh, mm. Could? Yeah, it could. The question is, will? Yeah. You'd have to say that if you had two picks of the two horses at the moment, the McLaren curve's going up and the Renault curve ain't going anywhere. But equally... Who knows? Well, well there's that. But when was the last time a chassis manufacturer that was partnered with an engine supplier won races, championships... When, when were they the dominant team in the sport? Renault or McLaren? Who are we talking about now? McLaren. Or uh, any any time a chassis manufacturer was- I.e. not the one all in, i.e. like Mercedes or Ferrari. Or Renault, yes. Or Red Bull. Or Red Bull. Are yeah. you counting Red Bull? In yeah, that? it's true. They're, they're the last one to have period of dominance that weren't a manufacturer team. Uh, but, you know, McLaren and Mercedes getting the band back together- yeah, that's McLaren a better band to get back together than McLaren and Honda. That's what I was going to say. But McLaren yeah, but and Honda. Had they stayed with Honda? Could they have? Yeah, anyway, but I think clearly he took the step to Renault and it went out on the inside. We don't know the ins and outs, but I don't pretend to be a Formula One guru expert. It's just my take on it. But um, he f- clearly felt like he had to leave Red Bull because it's Max's team. Yeah. No matter how well he would go at Renault, he's going to get his payday. He's got his payday now. Mm. Um, he was wanted at Renault. He was wanted and loved. They probably they clearly feel jilted. You could see uh, that's going to be team bosses' comments recently weren't too flash, were they? Yeah. They were very pointed um, and arrowed. Uh, but clearly, uh, yeah, it could be a smart move. And I reckon he and Norris. That's a cool lineup. <laughs> they're they're going to have some serious fun, even if they don't get the results. But you strap a Mercedes, which is the preeminent power plant of the modern hybrid era, yeah. into a McLaren, which clearly the chassis is not. Been bad for a few years. It's Even not when Alonso a, was driving it with a Honda in the back of it. It wasn't with a, a GP2 bad car. engine. Well, when you look at all the other cars that have Mercedes engines in the back of them, they're not winning. No, but they're not of the caliber of a McLaren, and they don't have the drivers of the caliber of them. Something we stumbled across the other day: a Ricardo has raced a McLaren before. True. Dan's father Joe ha- has raced a few cars over the years. Has. Mm-hmm owned and raced quite a few awesome cool machines. Cars. Like the original yeah. um, Riccadello Alpha sports sedan, he yeah. owned and raced for quite a long time. Yep. Um, one of the cars he's raced relatively recently was a Formula 5000 McLaren, an M10B. He raced that in a meeting over in Barbagallo. Mm. So, yeah. So, it won't be the first so time. Dan, it's not a first. <laughs> Dad, no, yeah. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh we're nearly there. A couple of questions left to go in our special Q&A episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timkin. Tony Lindsay asks, E-Series, there's a question coming. Yes. Does it have a place within slash beside the championship post-COVID-19? Well, it's had one. There, there has been a Supercars E-Series the last couple of years, but not for the main drivers. But, but If it doesn't have the main drivers, no one cares. Uh, it, has, it has attracted an audience. There is an audience for esports out there. 
There is, but is it big enough for corporate sponsorship to bother getting involved? Well, that's the, that'll be the test, won't it? Mm. Oh, I think that it does have a place. Yeah. But I think it's on the basis that you have, like we've had in the BP All-Star Series and in the ARG Car, Sport, uh, Car Sales Esport Cup, the real drivers racing. With all due respect to all those sim racers out there who are guns at it, the, they will have people in their world who know who they are. But in the broader landscape of television viewers, motorsport fans, uh, Scott McLaughlin, Shane Van Gisberg and Anton Di Pasquale, et cetera, the whole V8 field, I think it's the cool thing that it could – if I'm supercars right now, I think that that would be a great thing to put in a, um, a, an upcoming rights deal, mm. add value. You know, you're always going to have real rounds, what, three weeks apart, something along those lines. Yeah. Why not run a small – you don't want to have a big, long thing stretched out over the year, but why not – you know, for example, if you're going to have a gap in your calendar of a month or two, like we were originally going to have this year anyway, we've just had it a different part of the year that what we all kind yeah. of planned it. Why not have a four or five round? I mean, the drivers clearly will want a break because it's their holiday period, but there's nothing to say that you can't have one of the regular drivers representing representing their team plus a gun sim racer yeah, true, alongside true. them. Yeah, but it needs it needs star names. It yeah. needs star names, but. Uh, if you'd asked me before all this happened, I would have said, yeah, maybe. Now I would say, yeah, there's definitely a place for it, but it has to have a star element to it or a majority star element to it if it was just all the sim races, even if they're wearing Shell V Power shirts and, you know, WAU shirts and whatever else. Uh, it's not the same. but And that's certainly not a block. I'm, I'm not attacking sim races or anyone who's good at it or makes it their world. Um, it's just the commercial realities of... If there's a place for a uh, you know an E series out there in a bigger, broader media landscape. Next question, Patrick Harding. Hey Aaron, any chance of doing a book on all the circuits to have been part of the Australian Touring Car Championship slash V8 Supercars Championship? Uh, there's always a chance of anything. Like us winning Tats Lotto or buying a Thunderdome. Yeah. Uh, book on the circuits as part of the championship. What would we put in that book, Will? Well, circuits. Yeah, I know, but what would we write about? Guess their histories, like different layouts, winners, stats. Yeah, a lot of nice photos. I think we could lots of nice photos. We've got a lot of nice photos lying around here. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could be. Could it's an be, idea. Could be doable. I mean, there's been now. There's enough circuits. If you go back through over the years, I don't have that off the top of my head, but I think we're in the thirty plus number of tracks to have hosted rounds. We've had some new ones in the last few years. We obviously Newcastle, New Street Track. We've had. What else has been new in the last little while? Townsville. Albert Park. Albert Park. Oh, yeah. Albert Park. Because it wasn't a championship yeah. round up until 2018. Yeah. Townsville's been around for 10 years now. Uh, we've had our overseas venues. Yes, Marina. Oh, well, potentially it might be Hampton Downs joining the list if that's where we end up in January yes. or Pukekohe. Circuit of the Americas, yeah. 2013. Shanghai. Uh, Bahrain. Yeah. Yes, Marina Circuit at Abu Dhabi. Hamilton. Hamilton. Everyone forgets Hamilton. Yeah. I quite enjoyed Hamilton. Yeah, I used to have some good pubs, good bars. <laughs> and, you walk, and you could walk home. It wasn't far. Yeah. Was great. Uh, so, yes, yep, we'll put it on the list. It's a chance. It's a possibility. Um, but I think we would need to craft exactly the focus of what it's all about because in my head it might be part of a bigger championship history book potentially, but you never know. TBC. 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 Uh Will, 
Yes. Damien uh, Cesario asks, when will V8 Sleuth release more Super Touring DVDs? Example, the seasons of 95, 96. So that, go- that kind of goes back to our question about touring car racing on Channel 9. Because they, they showed those early Super Touring Championship yeah, races. they did. I used to get up at 6.30 on a Saturday morning in Ballarat mm. because that's when they showed the 1994 season. Yeah. And on the weeks that the Australian Manufacturers Championship, as it was called, wasn't being shown, they showed the British Touring Car Championship. So there was like 29 straight weeks of getting up at quarter past six on a Saturday morning, which I would never do now. You could just set the recorder and get up later. Uh, You could do that with the VCR, but I didn't trust it. So I wanted to get up and watch it. No, fair. fair. um, Damien asks about specifically the 95-96 season, sadly, the broadcast tapes of those races, I don't believe, exist anymore. And if they do, there'll only be a round or two of them. Um, That's the, a shame. Yeah, the production company that put those together uh, was called Z-Space. It still is called Z-Space. In fact, they put together the big screen coverage that I've worked for in the past at the Grand Prix at Melbourne and also uh, at Singapore. And I did ask Tim Jardine, one of the, the co-owners, uh, he and his wife Fran run the business, a few years ago about master tapes of some of those super touring shows so they created those i think off the top of my head they were the 96 97 98 99 sort of years a different company i think did 94 and 95 but um they had a smattering of them at the time and i went back to him and asked him in more recent times and they no longer have them so unless there's tapes tucked away that they don't know about and that we don't know about uh, i'd say the chances of that are uh, pretty slim, but I think there's a little bit more super touring for us to dig out of the Channel 7 archives that we could find a way to um, put into some other places. The support races from the Bathurst 1096, uh, yeah. when Jim Richards won in the rain in the Volvo, which we wrote about on the website uh, not that long ago. So, um, And we put out the 99 Bob Jane T-Mart's Bathurst, which is sort of a forgotten yeah, race. It was yeah. largely behind the safety car, but... Uh, that one's out there now in the uh, cmsmotorsport.com.au shop, but uh, uh, maybe down the track, but there's not that much for us to um, to rifle through. Lucky last from Danny Namoni. Oh, Danny Namoni. Yeah, yeah, he's a regular. He's a oh, he is. passionate sleuth follower. And it's another DVD-related oh, okay. question. Yep. Will there be any Oscar races put on DVD in the future? Oh, that's a really good question because so much of that material won't. Channel 7's archives do have some Oscar NASCAR racing from the early 90s and late 80s. Hmm. So there would be a little bit of that stuff lying around that we might be able to put together into a release. Um, once you get out of that era a bit later, remember it was on SBS. Yeah. Uh, and 10. 10 did show one of our highlight type shows in the late 90s, 96, 97 sort of period. We'd need to find broadcast tapes of those. And I think there were different production companies that did them over the years to even know if they exist, let alone if there were rights that we'd be able to clear. And then there are the races that were at Gold Coast Indy that were on nine. They do exist. I have seen some of those in the archive. I hope they still do. Hmm. Um, But, yeah, there would be a couple of those lying around that we could get our hands on. Uh, So between what we know that is around, it's doable that we could do a Thunderdome release or an Oscar Amazing Oscars or Aussie Oscars or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, Danny, on the list, possible. We will see what we can uh, see what we can dig out. Cool. That's it. No more questions. Done. Cool. Well, we get regularly. We do a call out on our socials for questions for um, the Q and A podcast. We do one of these usually every sort of monthish 
three to five weeks apart between our sit-down chats with motorsport personalities. Sometimes we'll do some classic cars, which we're due to do a classic car soon. So uh, keep your ears peeled for that episode coming up very, very soon. Um, but if you've got a question to throw in at any time, jump on our website, v8salute.com.au, go to the contact page, shoot us an email through there and we'll put in our little list of Q&A content and we'll back it up and work our way through the best ones. We can't get to all of them because we do get a lot of questions every we really week do. Um, we do appreciate all the ones we get, but yeah. Yeah, time. we do. We yeah. do. So we're really sorry if we don't get to your question. I know there's some people who get the grumbles, but we just can't get to them all. We'd do a nine-hour podcast to try to work our way through them. Um Again, as we mentioned at the front of the show, we've had amazing support. We've released a bunch of books and publications over the years, but our latest one, DJR The Cars, 1980 to 2019. If you don't have a copy, please grab one. It's a ripping book. It will sell out. There's only 3,000 copies. It's 400 pages, hardcover. How many cars? 50 cars featured? Almost. Nearly Pretty close. 48, 40, 47 be. or 48, yeah. From the True Blue Rock Bathurst 1980 Falcon right through to the latest Shelby Power Racing Mustang of Scott McLaughlin that he debuted at Sandown last year. We've covered 40 years of cars. Will's written the bulk of this. Um, beautiful images from a range of sources from over the years. Lots of them have never been published before. Mm. There's a few familiar old faithful favourites yeah. in there. Uh, but it's been a mammoth project, and Dick Johnson has signed all the books. They are all individually numbered on the inside cover. Uh, so for those who've received their pre-orders, there's probably been a bit of a lucky dip this week to find out what book you got. Uh, but if you don't have a copy, great present for Father's Day, for Christmas, um, for Mother's Day, don't forget the, mm. the mums out there who, who like their racing, or birthday presents in between or anything else, jump on our online bookshop. We've really been stepping it up in the last couple of months with this stuff, uh, Bookshop v8sleuth.com.au pick yourself up some other bargains and of course combine postage if you're going to buy some multiple things stick them all together and pay the one whack of postage good deal makes total sense I think so so yeah DJR Cars book grab one before they all sell out pretty much all of our books have either sold out or all but sold out in the last three or four years so anyone who missed out on the HRT Cars book myself uh, included uh, yeah get one of those yeah no sorry yeah we do get asked a bit about whether we're going to do a version two of that book, and we've intimated that we plan to, but the world's kind of changed a bit in the last few months, and we've had to reshift some of our, our projects and our world. But I think it's safe to say that one day we will do a version two, second edition of the HRT History of the Cars book. So anyway, that is our Q&A episode. I hope you've learned a few lessons or had some questions answered, or we've probably raised a few more questions that we need to answer at another stage. Uh, when are you buying the Thunderdome, Will? Uh well, it's not tomorrow, I can tell no, you that. No, no. Tats Lotto? You know those numbers? Not, not normally. No, no. no. All right. We'll go do some work. In the meantime, thanks for listening again on the V8 Salute Podcast powered by Timkin. Go right back through our back catalogue and have a listen to some of the episodes that you may not have heard. Jump on the website, keep connected with us on the socials, and we'll speak to you soon. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.